Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. You know, I'm doing okay. I'm trying to get as, as much work done as I can. And uh, yeah, I was at the church today, had office yeah. hours. You know, get getting crazy stuff. There was some some mild, uh, mild church drama, um, from Tuesday while I was at class. Apparently, uh, the one of the one of the ladies from the church, who's the head of ad council, came into the the office when my office administrator was working, and just just ripped my office administrator apart. Just, just like reamed her apart for um, not sending out an email that she wanted her to send out to everybody at the church. And uh, there were no, there's essentially no consequences for her, for Colette not doing this. <laughs> like, like Colette didn't send the email out and everything still worked out fine. Everything is fine. Just right. this woman was butthurt. And um, it was really, it's really unacceptable. Like, like it's just completely embarrassing and totally unacceptable. You don't treat people that way, even even if you are their superior. You know, <laughs> you don't you yeah. don't go in and rip them apart and you know say crazy things. But one of the things that this woman said to my office administrator was, um, "I understand that you like Pastor Ethan, but Pastor Ethan is not your boss. I'm your boss." And and I'm like. When I heard about this, I was like, well, no, that's not that's, <laughs> that's not how any of that works. That's all made up. Yeah. And so I I had to. Oh, it's just it's, it's bruised egos and silly people. And so like today when I came into the office, I like sat in my office administrator's you know office and closed the door. I was like, all right, Colette, what happened? You know, and Colette told me what happened. And I was like, all right, yeah, that jives with how, what I heard. Um, your work is fine. You're doing fine. If I, <laughs> if, I, if I ask you not to send an email because some random person told you to send an email, and then you asked me, and I was like, don't send that email, listen to me. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know my name tag says pastor you know like not random person so like right. that's what we're gonna go with and colette's like okay and i'm like yeah that's fine well and the email she wanted to send is just is listeners you know this isn't gonna be a methodist heavy episode today i don't know what this episode will be well it'll be something but like it won't be let's talk about methodist polity but like methodism is like mcdonald's man like mcdonald a meth a theoretically you can go to a McDonald's in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, you know, and <laughs> and find the same food and menu and taste there as you would in, you know, Mumbai. Like, that's the plan. The plan is that's what you will do. And in Methodist world, that's the plan as well. The plan is may maybe not from a from a what your pastor is preaching every Sunday perspective, but from a the way Methodist churches work perspective. That's what you should be finding. Um, and I'm a lot of things, uh, but like, there's a reason why I'm a Methodist and not a Baptist. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's because I happen to like the rules, right. believe it or not. You know, and so, and so when when weirdo Methodist people are like, "I'm in charge, bitch," I'm like. No, you're not. Unfortunately, it's made up. You're making that up. You know, this book well, tells us. Unfortunately, that's a that's a, a common theme throughout our society. So somewhere along the line in the last five or so years, people have gotten it into their heads that uh, they only need to listen to things that they choose to listen to or people that they choose to listen to and that somehow everybody is equally in charge and that's part of what I want to talk about today but uh, I think your um, your experiences speaks to a larger problem societally than yeah. just in the Methodist church but yeah go ahead and continue no it basically ends it basically ends with this like I you know I, I kind of I debated calling this woman like and and just 
not yelling at her, but just just being like, hey, just, just to let you know, like, um, this is actually how the whole system works. You yeah. you've done it totally wrong, and and now, see, therein happen. lies the difference between you and me, because I'd have loved to call her. Like, Come <laughs> on into my office. We need to have a chat. Sit down, yeah. lady. <laughs> I wouldn't have mind calling her. I really wouldn't have. But but I I the thing that that frustrates me. There's a lot of things that frustrate me about this story, and then I'll get off it to to chat with you if you uh, about your topic. Um, <laughs> what frustrates me is the um, I know you like Pastor Ethan line. I, I find that yeah. line I find that line really dumb. You know, in, in in many ways, like okay, a that's sort of irrelevant. What whether anybody likes me or not is ultimately irrelevant. Like they didn't hire me; I was placed here. Second. Um, she's the office administrator. She's one of three employees at this church. I'm another one. And then the new janitor is the other one. Like the three of us have more in common that, with each other than we do with you lady. Like, like, right. <laughs> you know, like, and, and also the, the last thing about this, like when I talked to her about it today, which I thought was good is the former office administrator is, is a part of the church still. Like she's a longtime member of the church. And um, uh, Colette, after this happened, Colette's the office administrator. After this happened, Colette had a question for her, for the former office administrator, and called her. And this sort of came up. And uh, the former office administrator, her name is Peg. Peg is like, that's completely unacceptable. Like, like and Peg's, <laughs> right. old, Peg's, Peg's this little old church lady. Like, Peg is, you know that's just who peg is and and peg's like peg's like i can't even imagine anybody at the church calling me and saying send out this email do as i say and me not immediately talking to the pastor like i can't i can't even imagine that scenario where where like i wouldn't where i i would just do it and and no matter what you know i would just be like well let's do it now you know but where where does this woman this the the woman that came in and yelled at your administrator where what where does she derive her authority from is she like like wh- how does she think that she's in charge over over the pastor like how does that work in her brain so she's the what's called the head of ad council um administrator so she's a council. volunteer she's volunteer it's an important role it's not that it's an unimportant role or or doesn't derive some form of authority but it's an administrative position and i think that that's that's sort of the the frustrating genius of the methodist system is that is that everything is an administrative position too many chiefs and not enough indians (laughs) (laughs) you're right you're right but like this how it's supposed to work matt and i and i said this to colette right after i heard of all this happening is colette if anybody ever if you need to know, or if anybody ever asks, you tell them that the people that oversee you and me and Courtney, who's the uh, janitor, is the staff parish relations committee. Though that those are the people that oversee us. If we have a boss, it's those people, and it doesn't matter what this woman says. Like it doesn't matter that she's <laughs> right. the head of ad council. That's irrelevant. Like that's not her job. Right. If, if the staff parish relations committee are the ones that say, hey, we need to have a meeting with you because there's some complaints or, hey, we need to have a meeting with you because we want to it's time for our yearly evaluations. Hey, we need to have a meeting with you because of whatever. Like those are the people. It, unless it's one of those people. And it, they're not even really our boss. You know, it's not like yeah, they really have to do what they say. They're more or less your 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 tattletale right they're yeah, the ones yeah. that it, liaise between you and the district superintendent right it, it, exactly like my boss is the district superintendent period and and the sprc exists um to be the ultimately the the mediator like the sprc right. exists to to, add, to be the representation of the church to the district superintendent and me like that's how that works and so if um this does not happen i'm not admitting anything listeners if it ever occurred that i um embezzled money from the church the first people to be in con the the first group of people that need to know is the sprc 
because because mm-hmm. they're the ones who then call the district superintendent and they're the ones who then have the meeting with me and i suppose conduct an investigation although that's that gets inky and weird but um mm-hmm. but yeah this this woman it doesn't how any of that works at all it, it doesn't matter you know and and like i told this to to the office administrator as well i was like if if she called me and said pastor i need you to put together an email and send it out i need to say these things like i wouldn't do that you know I, i'd be like right. no that's not how any of it works and and this is my final thought on it like like what she wanted to happen um was also against polity. It was also against the way the church worked. Like she wanted a meeting. She wanted Colette. She wanted Colette's the name of the office minister. She wanted Colette to to email out a notice that we were going to have a a church wide meeting about a, about a, an issue of bat extermination, and and if you could stay, you should stay after church to participate in this meeting. And and I was like, I was like. Mm, that is not the way the Methodist church works. Like, <laughs> uh, no, you know, how about no? Like, like, no, that's unfortunately not how it is. Now, the nice, the funny thing why is- Why do you have a, why do you need to have a church-wide meeting about bat extermination? Like- Yeah, I know. Do you it, have it, that many bats? <laughs> we, we apparently have a lot of bats, but even if we had a, all the bats on planet Earth in our church, the, the discipline makes it pretty clear. The trustees deal with that. Like, like the trustees meet, they come to it a solution, and then they bring the solution up at ad council in a report. They don't even need ad council to approve of it. They just bring it up in a report. The trustees met. We decided to deal, deal with the bats. This is how much it was. Any other questions? Like, that's the answer. The, the ad council does not even, it, it's purely administrative. It's not even a voting body. What does Ethel in the third row need to know about the bat situation? Well, and that's why that's why I told Colette not to send the email out. I was like, under no circumstances are we sending this email out. First of all, the meeting that they're calling for isn't even allowed. Like, it's not even allowed. <laughs> like, like, we're not sending this email out. You know, like, like, and and oh god, and it pisses me off, Matt, because this 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 is a church that really struggles with paperwork. I I fucking hate paperwork too. I I wish I wish I had somebody who just did it for me. I still have to do it every year. I, mine's coming up in the next couple of weeks. I have to do all the church paperwork. But like, part of the reason we're in this pro, this trouble with the bats is because 18 months ago, however long ago we initially had bats, we just paid a dude to take care of it, and it didn't fucking work. Yeah. And uh, and and we don't have. There's no formal meeting where we discussed like proposals for these bats. This is the first time. There's no there's there's no paper trail of voting or or of an invoice like there's nothing at all. It's it's all it's all done flying by the seat of her pants. And what what ended up happening, what they and it happened, even though we didn't send the email out, which is why I don't understand why this woman is mad. Like, it's not like it failed, like it happened the way she envisioned it. We had a, a meeting that is not technically allowed, according to the discipline, where nobody took the minutes. And we still don't have a paper trail. <laughs> so right. the second time around, we still did it wrong. Like I'm like, guys, just do it well, right. I, mean, I think I think the whole thing is kind of systematic of a bigger problem, right? You have an accountability problem at that church, it, and it and it, it's reflective of people not wanting to take accountability for the things that they do. They're too lazy, or they're too uh, I don't know whatever. To, to, to keep notes and to do things by the book because they just don't want to because they don't want to be bound by those books or they don't want to be bound by those rules. The fact that she comes in and says something to your office administrator like, uh, I know you like Pastor Ethan, but right indicates right there that she's not a person that is willing to accept the responsibility or the authority of those who are already there. So you've already got an issue with the church that way because she, in one way or another, recognizes your authority as pastor and right. is trying to and trying to cut that off at the beginning of her statement and her efforts to intimidate your office administrator to get the action that she wants done without going through the rules, without going through the procedures and without handling anything the way it's supposed to be handled, because she doesn't want to be held accountable for anything. Right. So it's a bigger problem. No, you're right. You're right. 
But uh, but that's my story. So so Matt, people don't people don't people want to be in charge. People don't right. like following rules. What what is the societal? What is the diagnosis? How, what do <laughs> what we do about diagnosis? this? What do we do about this? Boy, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be talking to a lot more than seven people on a podcast. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so let me tell you a little bit about my week and we can get please, we can sort please of do. get into this. Um, so I'm, I'm still going to school with the electrical thing, uh, mm-hmm. doing well, enjoying it. Uh, I really like my instructors, um, particularly the one that I had told you about before, who's very opinionated and, and uh, is about right. 40% of the time on the social commentaries. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. I really like the guy. This is not, this is not to, to denigrate him in any way, but he, he brought up, we were talking about, um, he got off on a tangent about uh, fairness in society. And okay. for some reason, um, and this is an argument that I've heard from a lot of people in my area. He brought up the uh, stimulus package with mm. the American Rescue Plan. And was talking about how it was unfairly distributed. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean that it's unfairly distributed? And he started talking about the portion of the American Rescue Plan involving um, the Farm Bill, right? Mm-hmm. And this, and I've heard this from a couple of people that I live around because I live in a rural area. And one of the guys that works on my, that's been working in my backyard is friends with farmers. We have soybeans growing across the road from us and pumpkins growing down the road from us. And I'm surrounded by farmers all the time. And they are all universally complaining about these black farmers getting their bills paid for them and how unfair it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this argument a thousand times and it just, it like, it got behind my eyeball and my eyeball started (laughs) to twitch. Yep. Because (laughs) I know the feeling (laughs) because I keep hearing this rhetoric and people simply don't understand what was in the bill and they don't want to understand what was in the bill. Okay. Right. So, and, and it speaks to a lot of societal problems. Like for a person to have the opinion that my instructor has, it's very easy to qualify him and say, Oh, well, he's just a racist. Sure. That that's part of it. Okay. Not, I'm not denying that, but there's a lot of things that have to happen for a person because like if there was a black student in his class i have no doubt that he would treat him equally as everyone else i have no doubt that he would be considerate and helpful to a black individual as he would a white individual yet he still has this racist notion in his head and it comes from layers and layers of social social and societal myths that have been gotten into over generations in this country right so it's really hard to argue facts with somebody because he started talking about how black farmers were getting all of their stuff paid for and i was like well wait a second that's not entirely accurate yes some black farmers are being debt forgiven for about like hundred and twenty thousand dollars i think is is what what most of the debt forgiveness plans were And yes, many of those farmers were black. But Mm -hmm. what he fails to understand is if you read the bill, if you read the American Rescue Plan and you look at the agricultural thing, $1.9 trillion was the total stimulus package, right? That was the $1,400 checks that everybody got and all the money that went out to all the different agencies. Do you know how much of that went to farmers and agriculture? $10.4 billion. Wow. Okay, so 10.4 billion sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot, but guess what? It's nothing compared to 1.9 trillion, right? right? right. It is a a drop in the pan compared to the 1.9 trillion, okay? So we're already talking about something that wouldn't even change. If you were to round that number and take out the the 10.4 billion given to farmers, it wouldn't change the 1.9 trillion. Like it's, right. it's not even a big enough portion of it to change a rounding error. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about comparatively speaking, a minuscule amount of money that was spent on 
farmers in general, right? Now, hold on a second. I have a graph from the American Rescue Plan that illustrates what was the distributions of that 10.4 billion, right? 35% of that went to food purchase and distribution efforts for pandemic response. A lot of it went to like outreach for socially disadvantaged farmers, food for peace, rural health care grants, animal surveillance to check them for COVID-19, uh, overtime inspection costs for administrators, administration fees in themselves, education support for the disadvantaged farmers, so educational materials. The Office of the Inspector General got $3 million for something. I don't know. But 39% of that $10.4 billion went to debt forgiveness for socially disadvantaged farmers. Okay. okay. So here's what I want you to glean from that. We're talking $1.9 trillion for the total stimulus package. A small fraction of that, $10.4 billion, goes to agricultural stuff, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Of that 10.4 billion, only 40 or 4 billion of it or so went to these socially disadvantaged farmers. Okay. So right. we've pared it down even more. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. another statistic of the people that qualify for the socially disadvantaged farmers, one quarter of them were black. Right. That means the other three yeah. quarters were not black right right i'm not saying they were all white sure but they were not black so we we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of an even smaller fraction of the people that are receiving this money that's got all my friends around this area and my instructor all worked up hmm. okay <laughs> there's several things that people need to understand about the agricultural industry number one it takes money a lot of money to make money in a farm. This is true whether you're a black farmer or a white farmer or a blue farmer or a green farmer, it doesn't matter, okay? Right. If you're going to plant a crop, you need to seed and prepare the ground, which costs a ton of money. Every year, farmers from all over the country apply for subsidies and grants to get that initial cost paid so that if you if you are if you're planning on uh, planting uh, sugarcane or or soybeans or whatever it is that your crop is that you're going to plant, there is an inherent upfront cost to mm -hmm. putting those things out there. That those loans are distributed through the Department of Agriculture to different farms. Historically speaking, black farmers have a much harder time. In the, about 10 to 1 in acquiring the same amount of loans as what white farmers do. Whenever the um, whenever President Trump did the last stimulus bill, they put 28 billion or 28 billion dollars into not 10.4, 28 billion into agriculture, and almost all of it exclusively went to white farms and white right. farmers. Okay, so they already got their stimulus. Number sure. one. Number two, they're still eligible for, for some of it. Right. But it costs a ton of money to run a farm. The average white farmer only clears about $17,000 a year in this country. Wow. Wow. At the end of the day, when they spent $350,000 for their tractor and God knows how much for their land, which maybe they own, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't, right. Maybe that with the, the seed, the fertilizer, all the things that go into running that and, and producing that crop and bringing it to market, they make $17,000 a year on average. The average black farmer in this country makes about $3,000 a year. Right. That's like far beyond the poverty level. Way below oh, yeah. the poverty level. So it's not like we're talking about like giving people money that they can go spend in Vegas, right? This right. money, these loans are so that you can your seeds and create a product and reap the benefits of it later and pay back the loans, sure. right? Sure. So whenever those loans are all paid back, the average 
white farmer makes about $17,000 a year, which is a pittance, by the way. And that should yeah, be enough right there to make us not, mad. Not nearly enough. Yeah. <laughs> not nearly enough for the amount of work that you do. Right. And I'm by no means trying to, to say that black farmers are worse or, no, I don't. or, or, or the white farmers don't have it tough. I'm not saying that at all because the whole entire agriculture industry is, is, is a tough industry to begin with. But we're not talking about, you know, buying the Mercedes. We're talking about buying them like a Ford tractor or whatever so right. that they can do their job. Right. 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 Historically speaking, black farmers have not been able to have the same access to those sorts of loans because their local FSAs uh, are the ones that are responsible for approving loans. And 10 to one, they approve them for white farmers over black farmers. Call it racist, call it what you will, whatever. I don't know the internal logic of whatever those people are, but those are the numbers. Right. So that's why this this money was put out there. There is a need for it. My instructors and I, I, I bring this up in in our conversation with my instructor and he says, but don't you don't you understand that maybe just black people aren't as good of farmers as white people? That's why 98 percent of farmers are white and two percent are black. And I'm like, so, OK, this means that the, that you have to have a false belief that we live in a meritocracy yeah okay we it, it and we constantly have this refrain in this country be anything that you want to be if you just work hard enough you can achieve whatever it is you want to achieve right this is not a true statement right yeah a meritocracy as i'm sure you're aware is a society based on you know the amount of work that somebody does reaping their rewards. I guarantee you it's just as hard to farm soybeans for a black farmer as it is for a white farmer. White people aren't better at farming soybeans because they're white. That's <laughs> ridiculous, right? But that right, statement right. doesn't come that statement doesn't come from fundamentally from being a white supremacist. What it comes from is this mistaken idea that we live in a meritocracy. Sure. Because that's what they're told all the time on Fox News or wherever they're being. We're all being bombarded with it. Constantly yeah, yeah, that's that's everywhere. That's you know? just a Fox News thing. Yeah. But but I mean, this is something that this individual has internalized and believes that we are all worth what we do. What our, our, our work determined on our productivity. Right. This is not the case. No. <laughs> right. It's very clearly not the case. It's demonstrably not the case. I can tell you right now, it's way harder to dig a ditch than it is to sit in an air-conditioned office and, you know, crunch tax receipts. Right. One gets paid better than the other. It's not a meritocracy, right? We don't live in a meritocracy. So, like, these forces all combine to, to create this, this, this false notion that somehow, you know, black people or black farmers are getting an unfair advantage whenever right. they're simply ignoring the fact that they've been disadvantaged for you know a century and 19 from night since 1910 90% of the land ownings that of black farmers has disappeared it's not yeah. there anymore right there's mm. a reason for that if you can't get the loan to plant your soybeans or to pay for the tractor put fuel in the tractor to plant the soybeans. You can't plant the soybeans. The bank comes and takes your farm. That's what happens, right? right? So not having access to these loans, not having access to these funds has contributed in a systemic way against a lot of these farmers, right? Mm -hmm. All farmers have a shitty deal. All of them. Do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Some of them have better access to loans than others. Now, this can't really be disputed. I mean, I guess it can be argued, but it's, it's, it'd be argued falsely because you, all you have to do is look at the data. Like, all you have to do is look at the numbers for that. Um, the last thing is, the last thing that contributes to this mentality, I think, is a need to be able to place blame on someone besides yourself. It's, sure. a, it's a need to be able to shun responsibility away from yourself and to play, place it on someone else. If I was a white farmer and I was making $17,000 a year 
you can bet your ass that I would be a little bit pissed off about that. Yeah, me too. Because every day is a struggle. If you have a flood or you have a drought or you have whatever, you're fucked. Like, that's it. Like, your whole crop for the year can be gone like that. And it has nothing to do with how hard you worked or how early you got up or how late you went to bed. None of that matters if you're if you get a blight, right? right it's just right. done. And you owe this money, and that's that, which is why we have farm subsidies, right? Farmers are like one of the main recipients of subsidies in this country. And they have been for a long time. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. They sure they I know. Absolutely yeah. But mm-hmm. for a group of people that is so far to the right in their thinking, and a group of people that is so proud of their own work and their own history and their own um work ethic which is all positive admirable things to believe that uh the left is a bunch of socialist uh hypocrites when you're the recipient of giant social programs (laughs) Right, right right it's not even it's not even, and the bad thing is, it's not even a cognitive dissonance with them because cognitive dissonance is something that you're aware of, right? right so, like, right. cognitive dissonance is like a soldier going into uh, a village in Vietnam and and shooting everybody and knowing it's wrong, but knowing that they have to follow orders too, and wanting to protect your country, but also being told that you're there to protect someone else, and 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 wiping out the village and knowing that it's wrong, and and those two those two um, values are conflicting and causing a, a dissonance right that's cognitive right, right. dissonance you're aware that what you're doing isn't right but it, it might be right under these circumstances or whatever and that's what drives people crazy we're not talking about cognitive dissonance here we're talking about straight up fantasy right yeah. we're talking about straight up hypocrisy people that have bought into their own myth about their own importance and their own um their own independence and their own lack of uh, uh, need for help or assistance from anybody, which is bullshit, but mm-hmm. they've bought into this mentality because it makes them feel good. Right. And when they see somebody else trying to achieve the same thing, now let's, let's be very clear about this. The black farmers association, which mainly responsible for getting this legislation, it, this into the legislation is asking for equal access to the same sorts of loans. They're not asking right. for their own loans, right? right They're not right. asking for special loans or privileged loans. They're asking for equal access to it. And these white farmers, when they see somebody else asking for this access, they confuse it with, with, with a handout without seeing that they receive a lot of it too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not nearly enough of it, bind you, because it's a struggle for white farmers just as much to yeah. put food on the table. I, and I, I'm not trying to say that all white farmers have it easy and black farmers are the, have it rough. No, all farmers have it shitty, which is why we need to take care of all farmers equally. If anything, these white farmers that are only making $17,000 a year should be trying to lift their black brethren up to be right. with them because this is a class issue, not yeah. a race issue. Right. Yeah. But it's too easily divided into a race issue to, to, to distract and achieve votes. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if if the rural communities in this area were to understand that they were getting boned so bad by the Republican Party, there wouldn't be a Republican Party. It'd be over right quick. So yeah. it's important for that narrative to be espoused. It's important for Tucker Carlson and whoever else on the right to continue to push this mythology that these black people are receiving a handout and their debt is being forgiven and they they just get a handout and and it's somehow unearned because it takes the two people that are both in the same boat at the end of the day and pits them against one another sure but like i said before it doesn't make sense it for for a person like my instructor who again i have nothing but respect for and i don't believe is a um devout white supremacist sure i believe he has racist views mm-hmm. but the reason he has those racist views are multi-layered it's not just because of the 
the black white thing. It's layered on top with so many other issues. And I think that that um, cesspool of, of information is part of the reason why we have the, the, the issues with our country this right now, because sure. all of these, all of these things are being couched one on top of the other intentionally in order to manipulate us as a society. And it's working. Yeah. It, it is working. No, I think that's true. I think now, I'm going right. to take a big, deep breath. And you may speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sorry. Let, I just had to get that off my chest, man. <laughs> I, I'm glad you said it. No, that, this is all really good and important. And I don't, you know, I don't know enough about um, farm subsidies or, or that dimension of the American Rescue Plan. And so this was very informative for me as well. Yeah. Um, so i have a bunch of thoughts uh what you're describing the, the sort of the compounding layers and stuff um uh you probably know this word listeners if you don't know this word this is sort of um it, it, it's a it's a minor uh dirty word uh compared to critical race theory <laughs> but but folks are folks are don't like this folks who don't like critical race theory don't like this word either. Uh, the word is intersectionality, and mm -hmm. so and Matt, what you really what, that's really what you're describing. You're you're describing right. the perfectly reasonable and obviously true phenomenon of multiple <laughs> uh, multiple intersections of um, uh, we can say oppression, um, um, you know, bad shit basically. Right. Uh, that that compound in the bodies of different people or compound, you know, in, in different parts of society. And so farmers have it rough. You're right. That that's yeah. a that's a that's an oppressed. That's an element. Right. A, 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 a perhaps we can say a, a, a section, a, a section of oppression. We might be able to say that. Um, and black people have it rough. Well, that just means black farmers have it really bad. Like, yeah, of <laughs> right. course they do. Like, like that's an intersection you know, of, of two different oppressions, female lesbian black farmers probably make no money, you know, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like, like right. and, and as, as it continues on and on. And to me, like these things are obviously true, you know? Right. Um, does that mean we can't think of one highly successful black lesbian farmer? I mean, I can't, but I can't think of many farmers, <laughs> but like, I'm sure we can Google one and find one. Right. And but there's that not a lot of them on the Monsanto staff, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. But like, I think that another point you made is that the sort of uh, illusion of meritocracy right. uh, that we're all infected with, no matter what media we're watching, because it's because it's right. deeply ingrained in the sort of American way of seeing the world um, causes causes us to. Uh, not only kind of question some of these things that you're seeing, you know, that, that are there, the intersectionality of, of different class warfares and racial warfare, like different things that are happening. Um, but it also causes us to think like, well, if I can find one well-off black lesbian farmer, <laughs> then we're good. You know, then, right. then, then meritocracy is real. Like, like, right. but which is, which is just a, a giant illusion. It's all, it's all silly. It's, it's the equivalent of, well, you know, Ben Carson, he's a conservative. That means right. that Republicans love black people. Like, you know, right. they, that's not what that means at all. It just means he's black. Like, that's all what that right. means, you know. And more, um, more than that, I think it also opens the door for um, more racist thought. Because if you believe in the meritocracy and you believe that your, your only value in society is what you can produce... And you see that you're producing on your farm, you're, you're producing, you know, I don't know, 5,000 gallons of milk and the, the black farmer down the street's only producing 3,000. You automatically assume that you're better than him or that you're right. entitled to more than he is, even though maybe the reason you're pursuing you're producing 5,000 and he's only producing 3,000 is because you have more land than him because it wasn't stripped away. Maybe That's it was right. because you were able to obtain a farm subsidy to feed your cattle and he wasn't. Right. That's right. And, That's and right. you don't take into consideration all, all the factors that may be involved. Maybe he just is lazier. That's possible. I mean, it's a sure. possibility, but it's not the only possibility. Right. And I fail to believe that just 
based on someone's the color of someone's skin, you can determine their work ethic, right? Like right, it's not right. it's not a fair assumption to make whenever there's so many other contributing factors that need to be considered. And it's very easy to couch all of that in, well, I just work harder than him or black people are lazy. That's why he doesn't make as much. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that breeds this kind of uh, uh, one one misconception breeds. It fosters another in misconception. Right. It, it mm. produces another um, because they, they, there's a false equivalency there. Right. There's a false yeah. sense of of what what this is worth and what this is worth. There's a false uh, reasoning for behind it, like what, how it got there. Right. And so you make this assumption. Well, well, it must be because black people are lazy. That's what I've always heard. Sure, right. Sure. And then the so, realities begin to reflect that. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So this reminds me of uh, one of my favorite books that I ever read in seminary. And I'll I, I had to read it my first year of Ph.D. world. I'm actually going to have to read it again this semester. Like like it's, it's constantly a sign. Uh, and it's by uh, uh, a theological ethicist named Emily Towns, who's a, um, a, a black lady. She's actually one of two uh, black women deans of divinity schools in the world. There are not a many of them. So this woman is Emily Towns is very smart. And she wrote mm-hmm. a book called Womanist Ethics and the Cultural Production of Evil. Um, and. It's a great book. It's it's one of those. It was in seminary. It was one of those books that was like sort of a game changer for me. Where I was like, "Oh man, like this is wow! What a what a thoughtful book." Um, and and the sort of the quick and dirty version of the book, listeners and Matt is Emily Towns takes a look at um, like six stereotypes for black women, and and sort of traces how the stereotypes uh, sort of spring into existence historically. Uh, and then sort of traces how these stereotypes are essentially false, like like they're they're essentially kind of uh, made up and and sort of exist, you know, suspended in midair. And then and then shows us how even though they're false, even though they exist and sort of are suspended in midair, they go on to directly impact public policy, <laughs> right. which is which is, she's like, which is bananas. Um, right. And and uh, one of those uh, is um, she has a, a chapter on welfare where she examines the welfare queen, like the stereotype of this sort of black woman who has a million kids in order to game the system and, and all of that. And she mm-hmm. demonstrates, you know, kind of kind of where this comes from in our sort of cultural um, imaginations and 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 sort of traces like the history of, of, of welfare in the United States and the way different things work and, and things like that. But, but after she does that, she, she basically says, so here's what makes this so strange. We know that public policy surrounding welfare is directly impacted by this image, by this cultural image of the welfare queen. We know it is. Here is George W. Bush, Jeb Bush. Here's Joe Biden right. here's, you know, and, and, and she just does speech after speech and, 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 you know, and, and, and law after law demonstrating how the welfare queen impacts us. Um, and then she goes, but the, the most, the bizarrest thing in the world is that the majority of people in this country who are on welfare are white veterans. <laughs> like, right. like, it's just mathematically how it is. Like, like that's, right. that's just the answer. The answer is. The amount the, the the majority of welfare recipients look nothing like the welfare queen, not at all, nothing like it. They're, they're, and in fact, she she would argue there's statistically no significant there's no significant statistic to demonstrate that the welfare queen even exists at all. Like mm-hmm. that that like that there is such a a thing, there is such a a phenomenon of the kind of whorish, vulgar black woman with eight kids gaming the system, like like. Is there somebody out there? Could you Google somebody and find that? Yeah, but that's not a statistically significant phenomenon. Like, right. it's it, it, just a couple of people who are doing that. Um, and, and she sort of shows in this chapter, and, and she takes on a new, a new sort of stereotype in each chapter, but she kind of demonstrates in this chapter two really important things, which I think are important. One, 
these these images corrupt our imaginations. They they make it harder for us to do ethical, moral work and thinking because we see reality incorrectly. We're we're are the way we imagine life is corrupted um, by these lies. So that's a problem. Two, it's a problem because it 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 does evil to both the the black women in, of the world who are who are um, who who we have been enchanted to see as as these sort of whorish, <laughs> you know, right. vulgar bad people, but it also does does violence to people who actually need welfare. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, right. it, it it causes us to fail to craft welfare legislation and public policy that um that that does the most good for the most amount of people that need it right and so everybody loses because right. of and, and, and the thing things. is people who are on welfare will point the finger at other people who are on welfare and say you're the reason why we're not getting stuff you know whereas right. a person an individual like my instructor again i have I got to reiterate, I have nothing but respect for the guy. I really like him. He's cool. I just think he's been enamored with some bad thoughts. But the point is, he would say, well, I don't have a problem providing welfare to a, a, a military veteran. I'm sure, sure he'd be all for that, right? Mm -hmm, In mm -hmm. a false meritocracy sort of sense, without understanding that a military veteran shouldn't be on welfare. Right, any more, right. any more than you know, a black woman with eight kids should be on welfare. Sure. Right? The problem isn't who gets it. The problem is that it's there. Like we have to, we have to address the issues. Why people need it? That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. That's right. And and I think so. I I I think about that book and what you're saying because I, I think that the the central theme of our moral imaginations are cor are being corrupted. They're they're being confused and deceived. Um, is a really important point that Emily Towns makes in this book because right. it, it it really paralyzes us in a similar way that you're describing with your instructor and really in all of us and in, in all of us right. in some form or another. It paralyzes us from being able to uh, to see clearly and, and and on on all of these issues. And so. Just like you said, so so well, farmer. What do you mean this black farmer's debt is being forgiven? Well, well, that's not right. Well, first of all, I don't. We we like desperately need food, so we'll right. start with that. Perhaps no farmer should have debt because <laughs> because that's sort of an essential thing that we all need. Right. And 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 but but. Emily Towns's point is these these she's primarily thinking about black women, but like it's this, this principle can be applied all, all across the board. Like the way our moral imaginations are being corrupted, it keeps us from from seeing that element because right. the meritocracy illusion keeps us. It's it's why I get frustrated. And you and I have had conversations about student debt relief, too, which, which I understand. Like it's there are multiple ways to have this conversation. But what frustrates me uh, are when I hear arguments about fairness from this perspective, where I go, I understand the argument. I, it's, not that I, it's not that I'm against a fair society or, or whatever. I just want to point out that crippling debt ruins the economy. <laughs> and, and it's really that simple. Like, like yes, well, well, what about fairness? Sure, fine. But if we're hoping to increase economic growth, give uh, more people a better life across the board. You have all these white conservatives who are nervous because because uh, the white birth rate has gone down, yet nobody wants to start to fix student debt, which confuses me. I'm like, well, I mean, but you're... Do, but do you know, but again, it, it, there's other issues involved. The white birth rate is going down because people have to fucking work all the time and kids right. are expensive. Yeah. That's why it's going down. It's not because there's more immigrants coming into this country. It's not because, you know, there's more black people getting welfare. 
and sitting right. around creating more kids. The white birth rate's going down because most white people have to have both parents working to survive. And you can't sit around and, and do that, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. why it's going down. It's not because of all these other things that keep getting, that keep infiltrating the discussion and, and taking us away from the point, right? Right. I can't right. believe that, uh, I mean, it's so it surprises me that a farmer who goes out there and busts his ass from the day, from the morning, the, the, the minute the sun comes up to the sun goes down, working out there in a field, no air conditioning, trying to put food on the table for him and his family mm. would somehow want someone else not to receive help. That's doing right. the same thing. Right. <laughs> like, right. It doesn't make sense how these, to me, it doesn't make sense how these wedges can be driven in so easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think you're right. And, and so like, you know me, like I, I, as I sort of theologize through it, I think through questions of the demonic, of powers and principalities, and the way in which these are um, the these forces when they drive wedges in. There, there's a there's an emotional and spiritual piece. Like it's it's sort of we're not really able to explain it using reason because it's irrational. It's in, it's unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, I think we can explain it using reason when we examine. A lot of the other, um, a lot of the other influences for these behaviors. Like I said, sure. I don't think I don't think that uh, the farmer that that was complaining to me that does soybeans across the the street here, I don't think he's a capital R racist. No, right? no, like, I understand. He's not a he's not a walking around in Charlottesville with a tiki torch racist. Right, right. <laughs> right? Like now, let's not let's not forget that those people are out there. Absolutely. But I don't think him or my instructor or a lot of the other people that are complaining about this black farm bill are that on that level of racist. Sure. However, you cannot deny I cannot deny that they have racist thoughts. I just think that those racist thoughts come from multiple layers of other misconceptions and and the desire to have the self-confidence of this independence that we've been brought up with right where we don't need anybody I, like i have a kid in my class whose uh family owns a dairy farm and he's always bragging about we, we're always talking about hunting and he's always bragging about well we we can hunt as much as we want to because we can we can we can uh we have crop damage licenses so we can shoot as many deer as we want and blah 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 blah, blah. and i'm like yeah, but that doesn't really make you a better hunter. That just means that you can shoot them in the dark. Like that doesn't that doesn't right. make you a better hunter, right? And the fact that you have that means that like he he thinks, oh, that means I can put food on my table. Sure. And, and if the world were to end, dude, you, <laughs> I can shoot a deer at night over a fucking apple tree just like anybody else. I just don't, right? Sure. <laughs> like, sure. You're not you're not better at survival because you can do that, right? <laughs> Right. And, and also, and, but, I mean, can, can you make bullets? Like, wh- wh- when's, <laughs> right. when's that going to happen? You know, <laughs> boy, I really made my instructor mad when he was talking about making his own bullets. I said, no, 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 you assemble bullets. That doesn't that's not the same thing. You're going <laughs> to you're going to assemble bullets really well. Great for you. You can't like draw right. them out of the ground. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, are you Jesus? Are you God? <laughs> like, like, just snap and, and, a, and a thing right. appears like give me a but break. The, but, but what's 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 sad about it, and sort of what you're talking about with the with the uh, elements from from the book, um, it it layers itself into it, it, it inevitably comes out as a racist thing, right. but it's because of all these underlying issues, like you said, building up, and mm-hmm. and um, I, like it, it it doesn't come out of nowhere, right mm-hmm. now. This, the powers and the principalities inf- involving in- exerting their will on us as a society, sure, that's fine. But the way they do it is very artful. Right? It is. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not blatant. It's very carefully constructed, right? And that's kind of what I was reflecting on. That's why That's why somebody can, can with a straight face, say these black farmers are getting a handout, but I'm not a racist. Because right. that's... That's not what they're thinking. They're not. They're. They think racism is walking around with a tiki torch mm-hmm. in Charlottesville, and and they don't recognize 
their own racism. And I can't fault them for not recognizing it, given the fact that they have all these other influences um, compounding themselves. You're right. Hell, even even the guys walking around in tiki torches don't sit around and call themselves a bunch of racists. Right. You know, even those guys are are like a lot of them are like, no, no. I mean, we're just we're we're, we're just. Here to here for our own race. Like we, we don't think we're better than other races. We just believe in white genocide, you know, <laughs> that that yeah. made up thing. Right. Or, uh, <laughs> right. or, or, or uh, you know, I, I always love it. The the Charlottesville crowd chanting, you will not replace us. And then chanting Jews will not replace us. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is this is boding well. <laughs> like, this, is, <laughs> this is going good. Yeah, man. This is interesting. I, I, uh, I'm glad that you're thinking through this stuff. I mean, I, I mean, this is, this is like your analysis of saying this is such a one of the things in our country that it's really bad. I think is dead right. Like the yeah. the compounding multi layers of of myth and and lies and sort of emotional attack and things like yeah. that. And how much of it is just like the the human desire to feel pitied? Sure, I mean, sure. come on, like a lot of these guys are complaining. It's like, stop being such a fucking baby. You know, it's a hard job. I'm not saying it's an easy job, but like just because somebody else is getting some help that historically they haven't had that you have had access to or maybe you maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe you should apply and qualify yourself. I don't know. But mm-hmm. like, why put someone else down? Because your life sucks. Like, because you right. have to work so hard. I get it. And, and I'm not, I'm not like in any way trying to, to mitigate or, or downplay the plight of a white farmer. I'm really not. I know. But like, there's a, there's a sense in which it's like, stop being such a baby. And I'm not just talking about farmers. I'm talking about all of us in society. When we see somebody else getting some help. Right. We feel upset about that. Grow the fuck up. Come on, people. Like we're we're all in this together. We're all Americans, right? We should be hoping that everybody gets help instead of instead of like trying to, you know, snatch that money out of someone else's hand. Maybe we should examine why that money needs to be there in the first place. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, you know, and I'd echo that. I mean, the remember the as my as Herm, as my communist friend Herm would tell me. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the only, we're all workers unless we're capitalists, you know, and, and since chances are, you don't know many capitalists, if you're talking to me, like this is Herm, you know, then, then like, of course we're all in this together. Your success is my success. That's, that's how it works. And we buy into these myths. We think we've got a long history in this country of, of, of bantering about freedom and independence and liberty and we have this mythology built in our brains that because we can go to the grocery store and pick one of 27 brands of cereal that we're somehow free. We're, it's, it's not like what the choice between Apple Jacks and Frosted Flakes doesn't make you free. Now, yeah. it makes you more free than somebody in like Bangladesh. Sure. Right. So I'm not like trying to dick on America here. It's a great place to live when it comes to that. But mm-hmm. you still have to get up. You still have to pay your taxes. You still have to pay your bills. You're still enslaved to the society that you live in. Right. And freedom doesn't really exist. I mean, if, if tr- true freedom is like living alone by yourself on a mountain somewhere and being able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Of course, if you did that, you probably wouldn't have electricity. You probably wouldn't be able yeah. to get on Twitter. You wouldn't be able to play your PlayStation. You wouldn't be able to, you know, go to a movie or go out to eat dinner because you or find have, love <laughs> or find love. Right? right. Like, so all these all these things that we consider freedoms aren't they're part of what yeah. keeps us enslaved. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And and for my, you know, as we wrap it up, like, remember, yeah. guys, like a lot of the definitions and we've said this in different portions on this podcast before, a lot of our working definition of freedom as Americans uh, has a lot more in common with the devil than it does with God. Like, like these are the things that the devil wanted in the mythology, right? Like in the devil mythology. Right. Um, and even in the way the devil is portrayed in, in, in the Old and New Testament. Like, like these are the things that the devil promises Jesus, you know, total 
total dominion. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want it, you know? And, and we do not call the devil the free one. He's not the right. liberated one, you know? Right. Satanists might, perhaps, but like, but like <laughs> we wouldn't. That but would that's be only in their desire to dominate others because right. they, they equate their freedom with dominion over others, right? That's right. You can't you can't have that. Like you, you either you're either a conqueror or you're conquered in that mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is and that's no... just not true. Yeah. That's not true. This is good. This <laughs> yeah. is good. I can dig it. I can dig it. Well, friends, thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Fuka Chats with Matt and Ethan. We will see you next time.